What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Jake Podcast. Today is Wednesday, May 26th. It's uh, It's been about a month since my last pod, since I last talked to you guys. A lot has happened. Uh, a month ago, it was the NFL draft. That's uh, you know the last time I left you off. We did a lot of draft work this year. Did uh, positional breakdowns. Had a couple great interviews with two awesome guests, Browns-related, but also talked about the draft in general. Did my night before the mock where I walked you through what I thought was going to happen and ended up being pretty close. Got a couple good guesses in there. I'm uh, I'm pretty happy with uh, the way uh, my mock draft turned out. And now, you know, I took a little bit of a little bit of a break. Needed it. Um, took a little vacation from the pod, but it's a month later. There has been a lot that's happened. Aaron Rodgers, Julio Jones, uh, the NFL schedule. We're a quarter of the year into the baseball season. NBA, NHL playoffs, so a lot to get to. So uh, without further ado, we'll jump right into it and uh, see what you've missed over the last month. All right, so I uh, don't want to bury the lead. Julio Jones, right? You know, the big talk is that he doesn't want to be on the Atlanta Falcons anymore. He's asked for a trade. Atlanta's trying to trade him. Uh, whatever you want to believe out there, Shannon Sharp on the you know uh, live on his show with Skip Bayless decides to call Julio Jones, not even let him know that he's live on air and asks if he wants to go to Dallas. And uh, Julio says, no, I want to win. He asks about Atlanta. He says, I'm out of there. Uh, Kind of super unprofessional on Shannon Sharp's part, but uh, very entertaining to us as fans. Uh, So obviously the question comes up, should the Browns trade for him, right? You know, they have a wide receiver room that has an injured Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, Jarvis Landry, who isn't really a deep threat, and that's something the Browns are looking for because they are very good at tight end. And Jarvis Landry right now runs the same routes the tight ends run. Um, so that's a question being asked. Do the Browns trade for Julio Jones? And, you know, I, I had to give it a lot of thought because that first part, I'm like, no, don't don't need it. You know, but now that I think more and more about it, there are a lot of reasons to trade for Julio. OK, so number one is he would be the number one on the team. Right. OK, so Odell Beckham is recovering from an ACL tear um that's really tough to come back from and as Jake Burns noted when he was on the podcast he's not going to be the Odell that everybody wants because yes he's running on a treadmill right now and that's great to see and you really want to see him running and getting back there but the what makes Odell so dangerous is his cutting ability and the fact that he stops on a dime and changes direction better than almost anybody in the league and he's not going to have that because that's something you need like a fully repaired and rested ACL to do. So whether or not he's even on the field week one, uh, he's not going to be like, you know, Odell. And he might not even be at any point this upcoming season. Uh, Jake Burns hopes we have him back ready to roll, ready to be Odell week 10 so that he's ready to go for the playoffs. Right. And I think that, you know, I would be OK with that, too. Like that'd be great by me and we'll get into the schedule in a little bit I'll, you know I'll, I'll jump into that but um that needs to be you know part of the reason of the browns saying listen this year this season this should be shaping up to be the best browns team maybe we'll ever see so keep that in mind because next year we're going to have a lot of financial decisions to make baker mayfield is owed an extension denzel ward is owed an extension miles garrett's um extension will be kicking in at that point David Njoku will be a free agent. Wyatt Teller will be a free agent. And then we have a lot of our offensive linemen and wide receivers with big, you know, dollar signs next to their name. 
and might be released, let go, traded, whatever, uh, just to create room for some of these other guys that have uh, you know big big paychecks coming due. So um, none of that will be happening this summer. You know, Sheldon Richardson was the one big cut, uh, which you know it stinks. But if they think, hey, listen, Malik Jackson's going to be able to give us what we wanted from Sheldon Richardson, and we're going to be moving our DNs on the inside on a lot of times. I get that. I understand why they said, "Listen, thirteen million for Sheldon Richardson." It's, it's you know, it's just not going to work. So, um, so that's the first part. Is number one, you know, wide receiver. We do need a number one wide receiver because Odell might not be back just yet. Okay, um, when healthy, we would have the number one wide receiver room in the league. Like that's just that's just a fact. Like I know there are a lot of good receiver rooms. I know Dallas comes to mind right off the bat. Um, however. Julio Jones, he is still that elite level wide receiver. And even though he's missed some games in the last couple seasons, and, uh, you know, he still plays tough, plays through a lot of injuries. And, um, like, like if you get a healthy Julio Jones, you're still getting elite wide receiver, uh, even if he's 32 years old. Uh, so with him at the one, Odell would be just like a slam dunk home run number two wide receiver. Jarvis Landry is a true number three in like everything that he does. Um, he's like an alpha wide receiver, but in terms of his play style, number three is really nice. And then our backup guys are Rashard Higgins, who is a great possession receiver, but also can stretch the field and has a great rapport with Baker. Donovan Peoples-Jones showed a lot to like in his rookie year and is a deep target for sure. And Anthony Schwartz is a rookie that we love from the draft because he's maybe the fastest guy in the NFL. Look at this room and then add in guys like JoJo Natson, who's a special teams you know return ace, Kaderil Hodge, who is kind of like a coach's favorite kind of player because he does all the dirty work. And this is as great of a group of wide receivers as you can get. So that's another reason to do it. Um, think about the price, okay? Another reason is the price. They're asking for a first, but the word is they don't think they're going to get a first, so they'd be taking a second. So if a second and let's say like a sixth, one of those extra picks that the Browns picked up this year, um, gets that deal done, go ahead and do it because what are you going to do with the 60th pick in the draft next year? You're probably going to be taking a wide receiver and hope, you know, because of what the Browns contract situation is with their current receivers. So I think I'd be rather just take Julio Jones and have him for this season, next season and the season after, and then say, you know what, that second round pick wide receiver at very best, we we're hoping to get a guy like Julio Jones. And plus I kind of feel like Andrew Barry is going to take that first round pick next year and move down into the second, accumulate another second round pick. And then all of a sudden you're kind of are back to where you began before you traded for Julio Jones, but you now have Julio Jones here. So a lot of reasons to trade for him. Um, however, you do need to um, like appreciate how the other teams look at this. Not only would you be trading for Julio Jones, you make sure he doesn't end up in Kansas City and you make sure he doesn't end up on Baltimore. And that's a really good thing because Baltimore seems to be the one team I don't want to see him go to. Um I would I I mean like I'd rather see him there than Rashad Bateman. You know how much I love Rashad Bateman, but that's, you know, that's dead and gone. That's past. Um but think about this from a Ravens fan standpoint, you know, um, not only is this Julio Jones, who is, you know, 
healthy if he if he's healthy. Uh, big deep ball threat, big body, fast. He has a jump ball specialist. He's an uber athletic freak. Runs great routes. Makes incredible catches. Um, that's exactly what Lamar Jackson needs, right? That's what he needs at a number wide receiver. And then they push Rashad Bateman to be their number two. Then guys like Watkins and Hollywood Brown are their backup receivers. And all of a sudden, you now have given Lamar Jackson everything he needs, not to mention you drafted well. And even though you traded away Orlando Brown, you got um, you know Ben Cleveland in the draft, and uh, they signed uh, Villanueva to be the right tackle. So... Uh, you know, hope you know the Ravens are hoping they don't have much of a fall off there, but um, Baltimore would hate to see Julio in Cleveland. Their fans would hate it. They would lie and be like, "Oh, great job!" You know, wasting uh, your money on Julio Jones, but they would be pissed. That's the and anytime your rival would be disappointed or pissed in something. You do it. You know it's good, especially a smart team like uh, Baltimore. They've earned the reputation to be known as like one of the smarter teams in the league. So if this is something that would make them upset, I think you should do it. Um, and I tweeted about this a lot the other day. Um, Pittsburgh would no longer have the best receiver room in the division, which is really the one thing they have going for them right now. Um, Cincinnati's upgraded receiver core. You know they got Jamar Chase. They have a re- you know they already have Boyd and and um, T Higgins. You know what? They no longer have like you know the the big three of the division. The Browns would, um, so like that's something to also keep in mind is that like you would be combating what Pittsburgh and Cincy's strengths are, and then not to mention the rest of the Browns roster is already much better than the Cincinnati's roster, and it's now better than Pittsburgh's because Pittsburgh had to shed so much salary this year just so that they could keep Ben Roethlisberger and Juju Smith-Schuster. You know, they they got rid of a lot of good players. Their D-backs are much worse now. Um, Their pass rush is much worse. Right now, it's like, okay, you know, yes, you have Cam Hayward, and yes, you have TJ Watt, and you'll have Devin Bush coming back, but Minka Fitzpatrick proved that, like, you know, Nick Chubb got the better of him a lot in the playoffs and last season. So, you know, Pittsburgh, the one thing you got going for him is your wide receiver room. And now the Browns would have that beat. And then Cincinnati, the only thing Cincinnati has going for them is their receivers and the fact that, you know, Burrow is walking again, which, like, by the way, like, really strange look for the Bengals fans to be like, check it out, Joe Burrow, he's walking. Like, the dude is literally walking and they're like pumped. It's like, you need to go protect him. But again, we'll get back to that. So, another consideration for Julio the trade cost, right? Um, and I'm not talking about the two that you'll probably be trading, but the money, right? The long-term cost, okay? So Andrew Barry knows you'd be trading for a $20 million wide receiver. Now, if you release Odell and Jarvis after this 2021 season, if you release them, trade them, get them off the books, you can save $30 million because they don't have as much guaranteed going forward. So that's one way to, you know, save some money for these guys like Baker's extension. If you if you want to re-sign Chubb, he's going into the last year of his rookie deal. David Njoku's in the last year of his rookie deal. Denzel Ward's extension eligible. Wyatt Teller's going into the last year of his deal. He's a Pro Bowl guard. Um, the first place you look at is those receivers who are definitely overpaid for what we get out of them. Um so, yes, I get it. We can afford Julio Jones right now. 
We have 20 plus million in cap room. Add the 30 million from those two wide receivers, but take 20 away for uh, Julio, and we're in the 30s in cap range. Then you bump up the fact that we're going to be going looking at a $208 million um, salary cap next year. So that's a good thing for the Browns because right now it's it's $25 million less than that. So they can make it work financially. They can make it work with draft picks. And it would be taking away Julio from a possible division or conference rival because we do have to be looking at Buffalo and Kansas City and Indianapolis and, and the Chargers and everyone else. It's not just about winning the division anymore because our sights are a little bit higher than the division. It's to win a Super Bowl. So all all of that has to be taken into the into into account when looking at Julio Jones. So I say the Browns should go for it. They should trade a second and a mid-round pick for him and work on the financials later. Andrew Barry, he's supposed to be a really smart guy. I'm sure he is by all accounts. He's made very smart moves. So I'd be really excited for uh, a Julio Jones trade because I feel like it would mark the absolute definite end of the OBJ Landry combo, which, like, you know, yes, we'd have one more year out of it, but I am less interested in them the more and more we go because, frankly, we just don't get the production out of them for their money. And on a team that has some great players at a lot of different positions, I'd rather not be overpaying at wide receiver where. You know, we're getting guys like Anthony Schwartz and Donovan Peoples-Jones and Rashard Higgins on the cheap side that we know will work with Baker Mayfield. I'd rather just keep recycling guys like that. And I know Julio Jones isn't a guy like that, but Julio Jones at least is a wide receiver where it's like, look, he's only making $5 million more than Jarvis Landry. And look at what you get with Julio Jones. Like, he's out there on the island and it's like, this is the last guy you want to be covering if you're a DB. So, all right. So that's on on Julio Jones, you know. And I'm sure everyone has has talked their head off about Aaron Rodgers right now. Uh, we don't really need to jump into the whole Aaron Rodgers stuff, other than the fact that, like, I know the Browns play them this year. I know that, um, you know, uh, we get Aaron Rodgers on Christmas Day uh, at Lambeau, which is a real bummer because I really wanted to go to that game. Um, you know, I wanted to go to Lambeau Field. I've never been to uh Lambeau Field and I've always wanted to see it like in the winter uh when it's snowing you know that typical NFC North type of battle um and then knowing that the Browns were going to be there this year I was like okay maybe we can make it work you know I'll go whenever it is um as long as it doesn't run into a couple different weekends where I'm you know I'm busy and have stuff but unfortunately it's Christmas Day and Frankly, it's really tough to uh, you know make Christmas plans when you've got family in Ohio, family in New Jersey. You have different families in New Jersey that you want to see, and uh, I, I want to go to Wisconsin. Like it's just not going to happen. So, but you know the whole thing is: Will Rogers even be on the Packers at Christmas? You know, will he be on the Denver Broncos this season? Who the Browns play on October twenty first? Maybe I actually think. They'll figure it out. I think Rodgers is just, you know, frustrated with his team, and he has a lot of good points. You know, he should be frustrated, but um, I, at the end of the day, I feel like he will be their quarterback this season. Um, do they make a trade for Julio Jones? I don't think so. I think they're not really in the position cap-wise to be able to make a move like that. 
You know, Atlanta's ma- dealing Jones because they only have four hundred thousand in room. Uh, so, so I, I don't think the Packers, who have one of the biggest cap hits in NFL history, are really going to be poised to pay a twenty million dollar receiver that isn't Devontae Adams, who is already getting paid. So. With all that being said, I did want to jump into the schedule, right? The schedule release was last month. Uh, this is something that you know I've been looking forward to because, number one, I've always gone to the home opener outside of last year, which was on a Thursday night, and it had limited capacity. Uh, so I missed the Browns game last year, which was a bummer. But again, last year was was different. You know, we had COVID, and uh, I really couldn't see them when they came to New York twice, which really sucked because... That was also right around Christmas, and I was like, okay, I can I can double hit both of these New York Jets and Giants games, and couldn't do that. Uh, couldn't go to the home opener last year, uh, Bengals Thursday night, and then um, you know when they played Washington the next day, uh, it, it, or um, not next day, but like the next week, that wasn't going to work either, just because uh they they didn't have the amount of fans that you know it was gonna allow to happen so this year though is a little different uh don't think i'll be going to the home opener against the houston texans it's uh just not gonna work because the next weekend i will be in cleveland for my bachelor party so now i am really pumped to double up and make it not only a baseball game against the white Sox on saturday but a football game against the bears chicago weekend on Sunday, so pretty pumped about the Cleveland versus Chicago showdown for my bachelor party, and then the week after that, the Browns are on the road, but my fiance is out of town, so it would be it would be you know a lot to tell you know my fiance who right when we go back to work and we're not going to see each other as much that there'll be three straight weekends where we'll be away. Um, but Texans, okay, you know what? why don't I just start from the beginning? I'm going to start from the beginning. Week one, Browns go Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, this is going to be the 430 game. It'll be the like Nance Romo game, CBS game of the week. Um, again, it's a tough one because the Browns are just, oh, like the big thing with them right now is that they're always starting 0-1-1. You know, even last year when they had so much hype and, uh, you know, Baker's rookie year, you know, when they like, you know, made a lot of improvements, they tied, and then the year after it was like a lot of hype, and then they got blown out by the Titans. Then last year was just as much hype, and they got blown out by the Ravens. So I know, I know that we never win the home, the opener, no matter where it is, home, away, we never do. But there's something to be said about this one. You know, I know it's at Kansas City, where Kansas City is a great home field team. Andy Reid is terrific off of a bye, and if you're the first game of the season, it's basically a month's worth of a bye. Um, and Patrick Mahomes is 10 and 0 in September in his career. So I get it. This is like the last team you would want to face. However, this is not a team that Kansas city wants to face. You know, they, you know, some people will say, well, you know what? Kansas city is their best in September. Let's face the best teams on their schedule in September. It's a good point, but Kansas city has got a lot of new players. They're going to have a completely new offensive line and they don't have bill callahan helping them out you know with the seamless transitions and they'll be going up against miles garrett jadavian Clowney, malik jackson and andrew billings on the inside not to mention a completely different defense that no one's seen yet 
So there's not going to be a lot of tape on what John Johnson looks like in this defense, what Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa is as a defender. Who, who, Like, what is he on the Browns defense? So as much as it's going to be tough for the Browns to be adjusting in, you know, this defense's first game, because really it's going to be nine new starters on the defense. So it's like this defense's first game is at Kansas City. Not great. You know, I, I admit that. But, hey, you never know. I mean, Patrick Mahomes isn't going to go undefeated in his September career, so why not now? Why not Why not take that L now? Uh, regardless, even if they do lose that one, um, the toughest game on their schedule is at Kansas City. And if we were going to lose week one anyway, which I'm not saying we were going to no matter what. I was excited to go 1-0 this year. Um, if But if we're destined to always lose that first week, might as well make it a game that was really going to be hard to win anyway. It was going to be at Green Bay or at Kansas City. So, um, okay, knock it out of the, get it out of the way. And then who knows? If you do win that one, I mean, we're on the highest of horse uh, after that one. So, week two, home opener, 1 p.m., Houston Texans. That's when the Browns absolutely have to win. The Texans are a team in shambles. Deshaun Watson doesn't want to be there anymore. Who knows if he's even legally going to be able to play? And they only added five players in the draft, and none should be starters. Uh, this was already a team that won four games with Deshaun Watson last year. Uh, and then they all they did was just sign a bunch of backups, and they have about 800 players on their roster right now, none of which are really good to start outside of Laramie Tunsil. So that should be a win. Browns, that's one that they got to win, especially after a tough week against Kansas City. Got to go home and beat Houston. Uh, so at that point, I got them at 1-1. One and one. Then they host the Bears, okay? Justin Fields in at quarterback for Chicago. He'll, you know, he I no way in hell he's not the starter for week one. I know people are saying, oh, Andy Dalton, he's, you know, getting to be the start. No. They put their all their eggs in this Justin Fields basket. You know, Nagy uh knows that his job is on the line. He's not gonna attach it to Andy Dalton. He's gonna say, I'm going to get everything I can get out of Justin Fields to show this brass, listen, we are the future, not he's just the future. Uh, that being said, I like the Browns basically at every position over the Bears. Uh, I think they have a much better roster, and I, I think this is a victory, and I think it's going to be one that I'm going to be really pumped about because it's going to be a big weekend for me personally as it's going to be a nice bachelor party where maybe the Tribe uh, is in a really tough battle with the White Sox for the division. And then the Browns take on the Bears uh, in an early season battle that it's like, hey, this is a big year for them. So uh, I got them going 2-1 and one here with a nice, uh, I'll say like 28-17 to uh, 17 victory over the Bears. Uh, then they go to Minnesota uh, October 3rd for a 1 p.m. game. That one I definitely has have as a victory. I think Minnesota... This is going to be like a stock down season. I did like their draft. I liked what they did in the draft. I think they, you know, did the right thing in terms of like what you're how you're supposed to build a team. However, it's just that, you know what? The the rest of the league is getting like a lot better whereas I didn't see Minnesota making much uh changes to get better than they were last year and last year they weren't a very good team. Um then the Browns go to the Chargers. This is one that I can see the Browns slipping up on because I, I really like what the uh, the Chargers are doing with Herbert, and I think they did a great job by uh, going up and getting uh, Rashawn Slater in the draft. I thought that was 
just a really great draft pick, one of the better ones of the first round, you know, protect your investment in Justin Herbert. And that's what they're doing. Um, so good for them. And um, but I still think the Browns are the better team here. This is just one of those things where it's like, hey, you go to the West Coast, you could drop one. Uh, and this could take them down to three and two, but I actually think they're going to hold on for a road victory. It's not like the Chargers have a big home field advantage. Um, this could be a type of shootout, but I don't think uh, the Chargers have the type of defense that's really going to like stymie the Browns. This could be a big time run game for Chubb. Um, by the way, I'm not like I'm not like doing a season prediction. I don't know why I just I, I've been doing that, but uh, then they got Arizona Cardinals October seventeenth. Uh, that's a home game. That's like the additional game, that 17th game that everyone's getting this year. So the Browns, you know, this is, this is something that they got that should help them win the division, right? The Browns get the Cardinals, the Patriots and the Raiders. No, I'm sorry. Not the Raiders. They were already playing Raiders, the Cardinals, the Patriots and the Texans. Those are the Browns three, um, like extra games this year. The Baltimore Ravens three games are the Colts, the Miami Dolphins, and the Los Angeles Rams. And then the Steelers three extra games, okay, are the Buffalo Bills, the, whatchamacallit, um, Seattle Seahawks, and the Tennessee Titans. Of those schedules, I'd absolutely want what the Browns have in those three third-place teams. Absolutely rather play the Patriots than the Dolphins or Bills. And I'd absolutely rather play the Cardinals and the Rams or the Seahawks. And, oh, yeah, the Texans instead of the Titans or the Colts. This is where the Browns need to make up their ground in the division because it's likely going to be a bloodbath with you know, within the division, and you're going to see a lot of similar results to what the Browns do to other teams than to what the Ravens do. So this is the area where it's like, okay, if the Ravens drop, you know, if they beat Miami, but they lose to the Rams and they lose to the Colts, they go one and two. The Browns, this is where they need to go like three and oh to really establish that difference in what they bring to the schedule. And then, you know, same goes for the Steelers, because I still think the Steelers are going to be winning some football games, but this is where the Browns could create a difference, not only when they play them in the division. And look, I'm not, I don't want to sleep on Cincinnati. I think Cincinnati has gotten good enough to be able to beat good football teams. Do Are they, are they themselves a good football team? No, but I think they've gotten enough firepower that they can compete with a lot of different teams. And I absolutely think they could compete with the Browns. I know the Browns really improved their defense, and that should make things really tough for Joe Burrow. But, you know, they have the aerial weapons to uh, to basically hang in these games. And we saw that last year when the Browns could have lost to them twice, and Joe Burrow put up some numbers on the Browns last year. And, uh, and you know, and that was before he got Jamar Chase. All right, so after the Cardinals, the Browns take on the Broncos on Thursday night football. Uh, this could be, if Aaron Rodgers is traded to Denver, this could be one that's like, oh, hold on, this is a huge big-time matchup. But another one that I think the Browns should win, Thursday Night Football at home. This is going to be a rowdy crowd for the Browns. A uh, lot of drunk fans that have been drinking all day. Uh, that That's worrisome right there. Uh, then they get a little break, which is nice, a 10-day break before they play the Steelers at home on Halloween, 1 p.m. Um, 
Look, I'm going to say this, you know, right now. I think there are a couple games on this Brown schedule that they should have been flexed to prime time. You know, I do know that they play the Ravens and the Steelers uh, on Sunday Night Football and Monday Night Football. Uh, and then they get the Broncos on Thursday Night Football. But I still think, you know, I'm looking at, like, the Vikings, the Cowboys, the Bears. Um, all got more primetime games than the Browns. And I'm a little surprised uh, by that. But... I wouldn't be surprised if a couple of these games later in the season get flexed. I see that the Raiders game could get flexed, um, and, and you know, I, I, and not to mention the Packers one. It doesn't count as a primetime game, even though it's only one of two games on that Saturday, Christmas Day. So keep that in mind. All right. So outside. All right. So after they play the Steelers, where they have a ten-day break, hopefully, you know, they use that rest to their advantage. Uh, they, you know, and beat the Steelers. They then travel to Cincinnati on November 7th for a 1 p.m. game. Then travel to New England for uh, a 1 p.m. game on November 14th. And then they come back home to host the Lions on November 21st, another 1 p.m. game. That's a stretch of the schedule where it's like, you know, you could slip up, you know, even though you're better than, I think they're better than these three teams. That's one where I wouldn't, I would watch out for a slip up game. Um, you know, they host the Steelers and the Lions. They travel to New England and Cincinnati. This is, you know, a stretch where it's like, hey, just make sure you go three and one there. You know, don't go two and two or, you know, by God, go one and three. Um, because this is where it's like, hey, this is, these are games you need to win is at Cincinnati and home versus Detroit. And even at New England, those are games I want to see them win. Um, all right. Then going into the late season stretch, they have, a very interesting next three weeks. Um, after the Lions, they go to Baltimore for Sunday night football, which you know we all circled on the schedule as an obvious big game for the season. Browns went zero and two last year against the Ravens, and uh, you know one of them was a blowout, but it was Week One. It was after a pandemic. It was Stefanski's first game of the season. So much was changing, and it's like who who wants to play Baltimore? After they just had that fourteen and two season and had an ugly finish in the playoffs where they got you know beat in in their first game, that was like the last team you want to play, right? Is that Baltimore Ravens team? And they're like, oh, perfect. We get the Browns who have a rookie head coach who's installing a bunch of new stuff who ha- doesn't even have his feet wet and is coming off a pandemic like the layup. And that's what it ended up being. But then their second Ravens game of the season was Monday Night Football. It was the best game of the year, you know, arguably the best game on the NFL season. And uh, the Browns lost only because they scored too quickly, multiple times late in the game. And, um, you know, their horrible coverage on fourth down, they allowed um, Hollywood Brown, I think it was Hollywood Brown, I, I blacked out when I saw how wide open he was, to leak out and get wide open. And Lamar Jackson floated one right over the middle and scored a 40-yard touchdown on fourth down. That was the game right there. Even though the Browns would come back and score, it was just like you could. that was where they had to win is that right there. And then the Browns come back, they score, score too fast, and then Justin Tucker kicked the game-winning field goal, which, you know, Justin Tucker does. Um, unfortunate. However, it's a different Browns team this year, and uh, and, and the Ravens, I'm sure, they know that, and this is going to be a good rivalry, you know, going forward because you got two really young quarterbacks who've proven that they are winners. Um, 
That being said, Sunday Night Football at Baltimore. After this game, the Browns have a bye. And then they host Baltimore. So in a three-week span, they get Baltimore twice. And a lot of people are saying, like, what the hell? Why? But Jake Burns pointed out something that's great. If you are preparing for Lamar Jackson, the best thing to do is to get those games in around the same time. And you get a bye before the second time you face him. And the second time you face him is at home, which is a 1 p.m. game on December 12th. Um, I, I got to say, that's the right way to do it. Like, this is the best way to ensure a split. Not to mention, what if you go to Baltimore and beat them? You go to Baltimore, beat them on Sunday Night Football. Then when the bye week comes, you rest up. You've already been practicing and just learned how to beat Lamar at Baltimore. Then you go home. You face the Ravens, who are coming off of a tough game. I forget who they play in between uh, the, the Browns games. I forget if it's the Steelers or if it's the Rams. But whoever it is, it's like a, it's, or uh, it might even be the, um, the Colts. Whoever it is, it's one of their tougher games on the schedule, and it's just like someone you don't want to face to you know after you probably have a really tough emotional matchup with the Browns. Then you have that game. Then you have the Browns again. I gotta say, I I mean like I look at that at Ravens game, and I'm like that's one of the tougher games on the Browns schedule. It's right up there with at Kansas City and at Green Bay as the toughest game on the schedule. But at or for facing the Ravens after a bye. After just playing them uh, at home, I got to say, that, that's got to be a must-win for the Browns. That has to be a must-win for the Browns. And then they face the Raiders next week. That's got to be a must-win for, Ra- uh, for the Browns, too. It's a revenge game after they played so shitty against them last year. And it was like, you know, right in the middle of the season when we're, like, trying to find ourselves. Nick Chubb is hurt. And things just aren't going well against, the, like, you know, and it was just the sloppiest game ever. This has got to be a revenge game. It's at home. It could be flexed to prime time because they never gave it a, a time. And then the week after, they go to Lambeau, where I'm just going to say it. I think the Browns are better than Green Bay. Right now, Green Bay, you know, I know they have a good offensive line, but it's changing, and they didn't fully figure out all of their offensive line holes. They never got that number two wide receiver that, that Aaron Rodgers wants so badly. And uh, their defense defense is good. Their defense is good. But I just think the Browns are a better team than the Packers. This could be a loss still. It's Christmas Day, and hopefully at this point in the season, the Browns are have reached double-digit wins, and they are going to be one of the wild cards, if not an AFC North winner. But then they get a little extra rest before they face um, the Steelers on Monday night. They go from Saturday game to a Monday night football the very next week, January 3rd. Uh, this is one, yeah, you got to win this one, especially when you're trying to win the division. And then they finish the season hosting the Cincinnati Bengals. That's got to be a win too. So I look at this schedule and I know, look, the Browns aren't the perfect team, but they were an 11 win team last year, made huge upgrades on offense, on defense without making any changes on offense. Okay. Every change the Browns have made this year has been an improvement. All right. And not only was it through free agency where they they said, okay, we, we couldn't cover anyone last year. We hung in there with the Chiefs, but that was because Mahomes got hurt. Um, we beat the Steelers, but it was because of our offense, not really because of our defense. 
What do we need to do? We need to get faster on defense. We need to get better at covering guys. And that when teams are on their heels down 10 to us and we know they're throwing, we can stop them from throwing. So what do we do? We go out, we sign John Johnson, one of the best safeties in the NFL, the best safety on the free agent market, the green dot of that Ram defense. He is going to be the play caller. He's got to be Joe Woods' dream player because he's like a middle linebacker but a free safety, right? He's he's That's the future of the NFL is basically middle linebackers are, are no longer the like play caller. It's that safety because, frankly, you just have DBs on the, play, on the field a lot more than linebackers these days. Okay, so you get John Johnson. You're returning. Grant Delpit, who missed all of last season. You're returning Greedy Williams, who missed all of last season at cornerback. Um, So you're already, you've got three upgrades in the D backfield right there. Um, You lose Terrence Marshall, but you go out there and you get the best slot corner, one of the best slot corners in the game in Troy Hill, Cleveland native, by the way, or uh, Youngstown native, by the way. So you big upgrade at slot, Big upgrade at the free safety position. Um, now your other safety is either Ronnie Harrison or Grant Delpit, and one of them is that star third safety linebacker. Um, and then, not to mention, in the draft, you go get Greg Newsom, one of the best corners in the draft. He's going to be opposite of Denzel Ward. Greedy Williams is just going to be battling to be the fourth corner, and uh, all of a sudden you have a nice really good versatile group of guys that can play on the inside play on the outside they hit hard they and and anytime you have a guy that goes down you're not playing guys that are barely rosterable you're playing guys that are good at football good corners uh not to mention the linebacker core last year was really weak this year anthony walker from indianapolis really nice upgrade okay you still brought back all the guys you had last year Right, you brought all of them back. Jacob Phillips, he showed a lot that you want to like, and that he might be the starter over Anthony Walker at some point this season. And then, of course, at the weak side backer, you got one of my favorite players in the draft, and Jeremiah Wusu Kormoa. What a huge steal! They they got him at fifty two. I really wanted him to pick number fifty two. Uh, by the way, like when they're picking out jerseys, um, but you look at that, Jeremiah Wusu Kormoa. Unbelievable. He's now their weak side linebacker. They're creating a position for him where he's going to be blitzing. He's going to be dropping in coverage. He's going to be covering your tight ends and running backs out of the backfield. He's going to be neutralizing Lamar's running game. And then they got him a good backup in Tony Fields Jr., who basically does the same thing Jeremiah Wusu-Kormoa does. He's a 220-pound linebacker. I mean, they're kind of, they just created a new position on this Browns defense of this like weak side linebacker being a super small guy, but very physical, very good, reliable tacker, can run sideline to sideline. They look like a strong safety. Uh, I really like what the Browns are doing. Not to mention, oh, by the way, they still have Miles Garrett, who will be much better recovered from, uh, from COVID. And then Jadavian Clowney who he's now their second best DN, Jadavian Clowney, who's kind of been asked to like carry the big stick for teams for a while now. He's now going to be our number two DN. This is huge. So uh, I look at that and I say, this defense he is going to be such a huge upgrade for an 11-win team. It's not like this is an upgrade for a 7-win team. This team went 11-5 and last year. Okay? And... Their first, and that includes 
Their week one loss to Baltimore, where they weren't even the same team. It includes their loss late in the season to the Jets when their entire wide receiver room was out out because of one guy being exposed to COVID. So they, and not to mention a couple of offensive linemen as well. So it was like, the hell do we do with this game? Right? Like, you're going to count that? Um, they lost the Steelers early in the season, and they are a completely different team than, they, than both of those were at that point. And the only others, you know, they lost to the Raiders when they didn't have Chubb. The, you know, the big legitimate loss was the was the Ravens. You know, that Monday night football game. Outside of that, though, they were winning every game. And then they won in the playoffs against the Steelers. And then they had a tough, tough loss at Kansas City where, you know what, all I wanted to see was Baker get the ball back. If they could have stopped Chad Henney a little bit earlier on that third down, I don't know, maybe having Jamarau Usu-Kormo would help. Uh, and, you know, instead of going for it on 4th and 1, it was 4th and 6, you know? Because it was 3rd and 13, 3rd and 14, and he picked up 13 yards to make it 4th and 1. If they stop him after 3, 4 yards, 5 yards even, they're punting there. They're, you know, Andy Reid's not going for it with Chad Henney against this defense. He's punting, and then I want to see Baker Mayfield with the ball again. So, it's a lot to take in. Sorry, I, I just I just went off on a huge tangent, uh, and I probably wasted a lot of time. But I wanted to talk about the schedule. I wanted to talk about the Browns games and that and how I look at them this year. And I look at them as a twelve and five team. I look at them as possibly going thirteen and four. Um, whatever it takes to win this division, they're going to have to. You know, you have those six divisional games. You got to go four and two this year. You can't go split and three and three. Um, you got to go four and two in this division this year. Uh, and maybe even five and one because, you know, I look at the Steelers and the Bengals and I think, gosh, the Browns are better than those teams. That could be four and oh right there. And then you split with Baltimore. Not to say you can't go two and oh against Baltimore. Baltimore went two and oh against us last year and we were a really good team. But a lot, a lot of fun to be had this year, especially that Bears weekend. Oh man, I really want to win then. Uh, I would even trade like a like a Baltimore win for that one because I'm going to be there and I just don't want to get trolled by my friends. But even though I'd still rather be Baltimore. Um, all right. That being said, I do want to get into a couple of, of draft grades. Uh, I know it, this is going to be probably a long podcast, but um, you know I haven't given draft grades and I had my mock draft the night before the draft and there were a lot of things I got right. There are a lot of things I just missed on. Um, but, you know, it, overall tone, I had a pretty good mock draft. So that being said, okay, we look at my mock draft the night before the draft, right? You know, Lawrence Wilson won two, no doubt. Um, at this point, everyone was talking about is it going to be Mac Jones, Fields, or uh, Trey Lance at three? I, uh, I just was not ready to buy the hype on Mac Jones. I was never going to do that. Uh, so I thought it's going to be who is going to be it is it Lance that there was a little bit of smoke going his way I changed my pick the morning of to say it's going to be Trey Lance it's not going to be Fields but the night before the draft I went with Fields because I just believe in him and I felt like Kyle Shanahan would go with him the morning of I changed the pick to Lance uh, four pits five chase I caught those Six Waddle, I called that, and then I predicted the trade up for Lance uh, at seven. Uh, then I just switched it to Fields, being you know knowing that I thought like Lance would go to San Francisco. So the morning of, I changed it to Fields. Uh, I thought I thought the Patriots would move up for him. Was not the case. Uh, turns out Detroit just stood there and they took uh, Penesuel. 
great pick, by the way. Then uh, I had Sewell going to the Panthers at eight. This is where things kind of got undone because he, he was gone. I had the Broncos taking Slater, which they could have done, but they ended up uh, opting for Patrick Sertain. Uh, and then, of course, since uh, Carolina, they didn't have Sewell to take. They took J.C. Horn. So this threw off a little things. I, I, I Horn went earlier than I thought. Uh, hope you took the under on Horn. I liked it. Um, I liked a lot of these bets. I actually I actually did pretty good on the bets. I, I was I said take the under on Bateman, take the under on Elijah Ver Tucker, take the under on uh, Horn, on Sertain, um, I definitely on Lance, and I took the over on Mac. So a lot of bets went my way. I made like two hundred bucks. I don't like to bet. I didn't want to bet. I even said on my podcast I wasn't gonna bet because I didn't want to tie my appreciation and enjoyment of the draft to whether or not I made or lost money. So I didn't bet a lot, but I did make some good money. Okay, so Slater went nine. Certain, uh, I, or I had Slater going nine, Certain ten. Dallas then didn't know what to do. That was where things got a little iffy. So they traded back with Philadelphia, who they saw, they're like, listen, Devon Smith's going to go to the Giants. So Philly jumps them to go get... Um, uh, to go get Devonta Smith, and then the Giants panicked, and the Cowboys still got Micah Parsons, who I had going one spot earlier. Uh, so yeah, a lot, of, a lot of that's where things started to go a little awry. However, hits I did make. Uh, Elijah Vera Tucker, I had him going thirteenth. He ended up going fourteenth to the Jets, but I did have the Jets trading up to fourteen in my draft. I had them trading up for Devonta Smith, who wasn't available, but. My whole reasoning was the Jets have Zach Wilson. They have a franchise left tackle. They just traded. I had them trading Sam Darnold to the Panthers too. You remember that. So after trading Darnold to the Panthers, you have these extra picks. Go up there and get your your get your franchise guy some help. Uh, I thought they'd be doing it for a receiver. It turns out they do it for uh, an offensive lineman, which makes me so happy. Uh, one of my favorite moves of the draft was the Jets going up and getting AVT. Now their offensive line looks like Mekhi Becton and Elijah Vera Tucker on the left side with Zach Wilson as your franchise quarterback. I got to say, bravo, Jets. Like That's exactly how you're supposed to do it. Now, you know, go get them some more pieces. They got them Elijah Moore in the second round, which was a great pick. Um, Corey Davis, I think, is all right. Denzel Mims, he's got a lot of potential. Uh, you know, Cr- Crowder, everyone loves. So lots of like there. But just wanted to say, in that draft... That was something I had, is the Jets moving up. And, not to toot my horn too much, I had the Vikings moving down to 23, which happened in real life, and drafting Christian Derisaw, who slid for no reason. And guess what? That happened in real life, too. I thought Jamin Davis would go top 20. Uh, I had him going 18 to the Lions in the trade down. He goes 19 to the Washington football team. Uh, I had the Bears taking a quarterback in round one. Turns out they got they moved up to get Justin Fields, a move I loved. Um, I had them taking Mac Jones, but I just didn't think Justin Fields would be available at 11. Uh, or else I would have had them doing that. One of my favorite picks of the draft, though, I called the Las Vegas Raiders taking Alex Leatherwood at 17 overall. It's just It, it just had that feel of it because what have Gruden and Mayock done, right? They've taken uh, big-time school prospects, right? They've taken 
Clemson defensive ends. They've taken an Alabama running back, an Alabama wide receiver, an Ohio State cornerback all in the first round in the last couple of years. This made it the third straight year they've taken an Alabama player in the first round. They obviously like what they get at Alabama. There was no shortage of Alabama players. They needed an offensive tackle. I thought, hey, they're going to go and take Alex Leatherwood. They've also shown that they don't care about your draft board. They don't care about how you have guys ranked and how the and the media has guys ranked. They were more than happy to take Cleland Furl. They were more than happy to take Damon Arnett higher than people wanted. They took um, Ruggs before Judy, before Lamb, because that was the guy they wanted. So this just screamed Alex Leatherwood to me. And I was happy that I, I went out on a limb and made that pick because that was one I felt pretty strongly about. And then it ended up happening, and uh, I got to stamp my name on it. Uh, I had the Cardinals taking Farley in a, in a fall, in a little bit of a fall. They ended up going save Zayvon Collins, uh, which was a little bit of a surprise to me, not going to lie. Uh, I just didn't think that would be like you know on their board considering... They already t- took Isaiah Simmons, but again, this was one where I just gave them too much credit for maybe taking a really great cornerback. But um, Farley slid. He went to Tennessee, where they, where I had them just missing out on Greg Newsom. Turns out they had the chance at Newsom and Farley. They took Farley. Um, I had Owusu Kormoa going nineteen to Washington. He falls to fifty-two. That was my biggest miss, but I did say outside of. Owusu Koromoa to Washington. There weren't many teams in the first round that would take Wash that would take him. And after Washington took Jamin Davis, I thought, man, he's going to be available for the Browns. And when the Browns pa- passed on him at um, twenty six, thought, damn, he might slide a little bit more because there's just not going to be a lot of teams that take him. And Washington's not going to take him in the second round. And Dallas was going to take him. It-, it just seemed more clear that he was going to be dropping. Um. Okay, so other picks I had, uh, you know, I didn't have pay to the Dolphins. I had them taking uh, Jalen Phillips, uh, or no, I'm sorry, I had pay going to the Dolphins and not Jalen Phillips. Uh, that was one that was just like, you know what, I, pay just screamed Dolphin pick to me, so I wanted to put my stamp on it there. Um, okay, so um, then getting into the twenties, uh, I had the Colts taking Newsom. I thought that was just like, you know, like an easy pick for them to make, but pay really good value. And they are, you know, basically, you know, putting all their cards on the table saying, we are investing in the front seven. And hey, I love that move. I think that's a great move. Um, and it allowed Newsom to fall to the Browns. I had the Titans taking Rashad Bateman. I changed it the next morning, though, because I woke up in a feverish sweat knowing that Rashad Bateman was going to end up on the Baltimore Ravens. I said that the Ravens would end the draft. You know, In this draft, I had them getting Ojolari uh, and Terrace Marshall. And then the next morning, I changed it to Ojolari and Bateman because I just knew. I just knew Rashad Bateman was going to haunt me in Baltimore because too many Browns fans wanted him. And uh, it just made too much sense. I, I thought that was a big whiff on the Titans um, not going, uh, or uh, I'm sorry, not you know the Titans, but you know the Giants took Tony instead of Bateman, which was one I didn't like. Uh, the Titans took Farley instead of Bateman. You know that was you know, they went and took the position they needed the most. So I, I don't I don't hate on that. Darisaw to the Vikings, I nailed that. Harris to the Steelers, I nailed that. Jaguars, I had them taking Tony. I said that they might take a ETN. Uh, I didn't think they'd have the balls to do it. 
And now it's kind of funny because they're playing ETN at wide receiver in a role that if you're just going to do that, why not take Kadarius Toney? You know, he's better suited for that role. So it was really interesting why they did that. I don't know why. Um, all right. Uh, then the Browns came up. I had them taking Joe Tryon. There's just too much buzz around him being a first rounder. Uh, and there was a lot of buzz around the Browns taking him. I thought, you know what? Let's jump out in front of it. It's not a pick I love, but I'm going to call it because yeah, I don't want it to surprise me. I don't want it to like kind of like catch me off guard and then me be like, fuck. Um, turns out we got Greg Newsom, one of my favorite players. Loved it. Loved that pick. Okay. Um, Ravens, again, I had them getting uh, Bateman and Ojolari. They did take Bateman. Uh, they didn't take Ojolari, though. They took... Um, uh, um, oh gosh! Oh my God! Uh, they he changed the names from Jason Oway to uh, like Ofawe uh, Oway or whatever. Uh, I I would have been more scared of Ojolari if he ended up there, but Oway seems like a type of pick the Ravens would make too. Just like a ball of clay that can turn into um, you know something really special. That being said, Raven fans who trashed the Browns for signing Clowney, who didn't have a sack last year. Uh, they're pretty quiet about Oway not having any sacks in college. The Saints. I had the Saints taking Asante Samuel Jr. I kind of thought that that would be like what they were going for, and that like he's a big name guy. Um, he's you know like you know name the the name alone you know Asante Samuel uh you know, would would be reason enough for them to take him. Uh, they didn't. They didn't. I kind of I was a little surprised because I was hearing a lot that he would be a first round pick. He ended up going to the Chargers a little bit later, uh, forty seven I think. Yeah, he went forty seven to the Chargers, which was one of the better steals of the draft. Um, I I went hard on the under for him, but um, that being said, they took Peyton Turner. I thought was a huge reach, but the moment they took him, I said, damn. That was a guy I wanted. That was a guy that I thought the Browns, you know, could get on day two. Uh, so Saints ended up taking a bit of a reach, but a player I really like. And uh, you can see what they're going for in their defensive ends. They like guys that are like just really big, tough to throw around because when they get their arms up, like they are just batting down passes left and right. Peyton Turner is exactly how I would build a defensive end and uh, line them up across from Davenport long term. Uh, with Cam Jordan, you know, just gives them a really nice like identity and versatility. Had the Packers taking Tevin Jenkins, that didn't happen. Uh, they went Stokes, which I thought was just like a hilarious fu to Rogers. Uh, I had the Bills taking ETM, but he was gone by then. Uh, they took Greg Russo, which was a very surprising pick, especially since they went D end in round two as well with Boogie Basham. Uh, and then finally, I had the the Bucks taking Phillips. They ended up taking Tryon, so it wasn't that far off there. So overall, I'll give my mock draft a B plus. I thought I hit some really crazy ones, and overall tone, I guessed a lot of guys in the range they would went. I was a little high on Samuel, Ojolari, uh, Jenkins. Um, I was a little high on. Uh, <clears throat> Excuse me, on fields, I guess. I mean, I'm, I'm still surprised about that. But I nailed Leatherwood. Uh, Jamin Davis I hit pretty hard on. Bateman uh, I hit. Darisaw I hit. ABT. Uh, the Jets, I just got their vibe pretty well. And then the top six picks I all nailed. So uh, overall, pretty good draft. And uh, I, I had a lot of fun. This was a really fun year doing the NFL draft. 
did a ton of podcasts ahead of time, so it was a lot of fun. But um, overall grades, you know, before I let you guys go. Okay, so uh, just going to do about 30 seconds on each team starting now. Arizona Cardinals, uh, they got Zayvon Collins in the first round. I thought that was a stretch. Rondell Moore, I thought, you know, yes, gadgety wide receiver in round two, but you're already, like, crowded at both of those positions. Then they took a bit of a stretch with Marco, Marco Wilson in round four, they didn't have any third-round pick there. I didn't love the Cardinals draft. I thought this was a clear C-. Uh, they have a lot invested at the linebacker position. And how much is more going to even be on the field? Are you giving up on Andy Isabella? You just Why did you bring in A.J. Green? Uh, are you giving up on Christian Kirk? You have DeAndre Hopkins, requires the ball a lot. Just felt like a very misguided draft uh, for them, even though James Wiggins in round seven was a nice, uh, nice value. So C minus for them. Um, Atlanta Falcons love the Pitts pick. Uh, then they move down in round two. They still get Richie Grant, who I thought was a good pick, a little bit of a reach, but uh, I would have taken Ojulari there. I thought that was like a home run for them. They did not. Uh, Jalen Mayfield in round three was a really good pick, um, but after that, a lot of guys that you know I think are going to be backups at best in the NFL. So I got this draft a C plus. Because I really do think Kyle Pitts is going to be just an absolute stud at the next level. Okay. Um, Baltimore Ravens. All right. Rashad Bateman in the first round. A-plus pick. Just unbelievable. He's a one. He's a wide receiver one. No doubt. Um, Odafe Owe in round two. Or not, not in round two with their second first round pick. Uh, again, you know, it's... It, it, this is something the Ravens do well, so I think it was a, a good pick. I would have taken a different edge there, but uh, still like a decent pick. Uh, I actually would have taken Tevin Jenkins if I was them, but uh, they got a right tackle, so I guess uh, no need. Round three was Ben Cleveland. This was one of my picks I didn't want to see happen. Not only was it unnamed, but he is a massive guard. I feel like he's going to be a long-term guy for them, and uh, it's going to suck to see Cleveland on a Ravens uh, jersey. Uh, Brandon Stevens was okay, but Tylen Wallace was a really nice value in round four. Sean Wade, if they play him in the right role, which is either slot corner or a third safety, he could be very good. I like him in the right role, though. Uh, obviously, outside on an island, not for him, but I don't think the Ravens will do that for him. Uh, so overall, I thought the Ravens had a good draft. I gave them a B plus. Uh, already a good roster, getting a good draft. Uh, Buffalo Bills. Uh, look, they didn't get after Kansas City in the AFC Championship game. That was their one thing is that, you know, on offense, they were kicking field goals, and on defense, they weren't applying pressure. So what they do? They went out and got Greg Russo, who, if he does, if he improves his pro day numbers, he is clearly the best edge in this class. Uh, he's got some great tape, but it's only a little tape. Carlos Basham, a little bit older. He's got a lot more tape, but um, he's just... At this point, he's going to be a backup end. So um, I, I kind of like that they addressed this issue, but they didn't address corner, okay? And I kind of loved the corners in this draft. I would have loved one of them with one of these two picks. You know, they could have went Asante Samuel at 30. And, you know, this is you got to be able to cover if you're playing Kansas City. And now you got to be able to cover if you're playing Cleveland too. So I didn't love what they did. However, they did double up at offensive tackle as well with Spencer Brown and Tommy Doyle. And uh, a couple late-round picks 
uh, Rashad Wild Goose, uh, Demar Hamlin at DB, and Marquez Stevenson at wide receiver. I, I really like those all six round picks. All guys that I'm like, you know what? They're gonna make a good, you know, a good Bills roster, and they're gonna make the team. Um, overall, I give this team a C draft. I thought it was an average draft, but I think the Bills are gonna get away with a with a pretty good one. Carolina Panthers um, really didn't love this. J.C. Horn at eight overall. I I I don't think it's a bad uh, pick. However, it's just like you you could have take, taken Fields. Um, I would have rather gone offensive line help and then gone corner in one of the next couple rounds. I didn't think corner is like that big of a need, but J.C. Horn's a really good player, so it's still a decent pick. I just I would have gone a different route there. They move down in round two uh, to acquire more picks, and they get Terrace Marshall, a wide receiver I do like, but again, um, I just didn't see it as a huge big need. Uh, that being said, you are giving Darnold a nice young piece, so don't hate that. Brady Christensen was a nice pick. Tommy Tremble was a nice pick. Uh, Chuba Hubbard was a nice uh, depth pick. Davian Nixon was a really nice pick in round five. Keith Taylor was a nice pick. Uh, Deontay Brown was a nice pick. Shy Smith from South Carolina, nice pick. Okay, so after early on when I felt like they didn't at, like address big-time need, they got really good value throughout the rest of the draft, so I gave this draft a B. Okay, Chicago Bears, I think one of the winners of the draft. Uh, they gave up their first-rounder next year, but again, when we're drafting, when we're grading drafts, I'm not grading what picks you have for next year. Uh, I'll, I'll worry about how you take that next year. Um, they moved up. They got Justin Fields, the, the one team that needed a quarterback. They went up and got a really good quarterback. And then in round two, they went up and made sure that they got him protection. So they got up and de- got Tevin Jenkins, who is a beast of a man. Um, uh, you know, he has like the worst profile picture in the world. He looks like uh, the girl from. Um, Cobra Kai, but uh, outside of that, dude is a beast. He'll be protecting Justin Fields. I love that. Um, Thomas Graham, late round pick, really nice value. Khalil Herbert, late round pick, nice value at running back. Um, overall, I gave this draft a B plus. Not a lot of 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 players that you love, but they hit where they really needed to. Okay. Um, actually, no, I give it an A minus. Sorry, because it's just that important. Okay, uh, Cincinnati Bengals. Jamar Chase at five was their was their pick, right? They could have taken Penay Sewell, and I would have taken him. You need to protect Joe Burrow. He's gonna have plenty of options to throw to wide receivers that are fun to throw to. Um, but replicating that like college love, yeah, that's fun and and cool for video games. But you know, is it gonna protect your quarterback? We'll see. I didn't love it, um, especially since in round two they traded back. They could have taken Tevin Jenkins. They go with Jackson Carmen from Clemson, who I don't really think he can play a tackle. And if he does, I'm happy as a Browns fan. So he's a guard. Joseph Asai, Cameron Sample. Again, they'll be backup defensive ends. It's good to have that. But the still glaring need for Cincinnati is are you protecting Joe Burrow? And really right now, I don't think they're doing that. They added a lot of backup offensive and defensive linemen in this draft. That's what I see that they added. And then they added a number one true wide receiver, which is great. But did you really need that upgrade? Is that what you needed? 
because you need to protect your quarterback and you had a franchise left tackle there. Um, so for that alone, I gave them a B minus. Um, uh, you know, just that draft pick, and then they get these, you know, a bunch of backups with the rest of their draft, where they had high picks in each round. This is a C minus draft. Cleveland Browns. Okay, I know I'm a homer, but this is an A minus draft because they filled their biggest needs. You know, they needed a corner opposite Denzel Ward. Greg Newsom, great pick. Um, they needed speed at the linebacker position. They got Jeremiah Wusu Kormo at 52, one of the best picks of the draft, bar none. Um, they could use depth at wide receiver. Uh, I liked a lot of the receivers that went in round two and round three, but the Browns took more uh, pressing needs there. Anthony Schwartz, they needed speed at receiver, and they got the fastest guy in the NFL. He is a legit Olympic track runner. Uh, in in day three, I felt like the Browns took guys that are more for depth, like offensive tackle James Hudson, defensive lineman Tommy Togiai, and uh, you know defensive uh, back Richard LeCount. Tony Fields, I talked about before, uh, backing up Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa. That's a good pick. Uh, Marvin Wilson was an undrafted free agent. I thought that was awesome because he could have been gone in round four. Um, LeCount, I, I forgot to mention. I love LeCount because I felt like had he run a little bit faster as pro day, he was a second round pick, no doubt. His film is awesome. And then Demetric Felton, I think this is the eventual replacement to Kareem Hunt. Uh, he is a great receiver out of the backfield. He's a nice, shifty, patient running back. Uh, he's not the same style Kareem Hunt is. I just think he's going to be what they want from him. He's a running back. He's a wide receiver. He's just very versatile. And they got him in the sixth round. So uh, the Browns I got as an A draft. A draft. And I would give them an A+, plus, but I'm just trying to be somewhat unbiased. Cowboys. Oof. I gave him a D. How many linebackers do you need? You drafted Jabril Cox and Micah Parsons. I know Sean Lee retired, but you're already paying, uh, you know, uh, you know the Notre Dame Smith uh, a lot of money, and you drafted uh, the Boise State linebacker. It's like, how many linebackers do you need? You're playing in the '70s still. It's it's obvious who's running the show there. Kelvin Joseph felt like uh, they could have gotten much better cornerbacks there, um, and then. Uh, I'm not even going to try to pronounce Osa Odegawizawuga. Um, and then Chauncey Golston. Wow, those were reaches too. Nashawn Wright, a lot of guys never even heard of him. This was a really bad draft. I gave them a D. D for Dallas. Okay, uh, Denver Broncos, another one. I thought they made a couple reaches. Patrick Sertan, I just would have loved Fields there. Like Fields would have just been such a home run pick for the Broncos. And then you build around him with an offensive line. You already got him wide receivers and a good tight end. Like th That just was a no-doubter for me. Uh, instead, they go Sertain. They are really building a really nice defensive backfield. And I get it. That's important with Herbert and, um, and Mahomes in your division. And as much as the Raiders want to throw the ball. So, like, I get it. It's important. But, you know, Sertain, it just felt like a luxury pick. And they weren't a team that should be drafting for luxury. Javante Williams, another luxury pick. I don't know why you need to take a running back that high. He'll probably be really good. But the way that Denver, like, recycles running backs, it just felt like a bit of a waste. Um, Quinn Miners, I feel like, uh, you know, at, of Wisconsin-Whitewater, uh, I feel like everybody loves that pick because of his huge belly and, you know, that he's always sticking out of his shirt. But, like, 
that's another one where it's like that pick was more for like the social media aspect than it was for the actual team. He might end up being very good. Um, and it's also another pick that's like it's always good to draft like you know offensive linemen to fortify a strength. Um, because I think their O line was getting better last year, especially Garrett Bowles. Um, you know, really improved last year. Uh, that being said, uh, the rest of this draft, a lot of depth guys, and it's just like they drafted depth, I felt like, in every single pick, and that's good, but it's B minus good, where it's like you could have gotten A plus draft if you went quarterback there. Um, all right, Detroit Lions, one of my favorite drafts. Uh, this is an A plus. Number one, in the first round, you got Panay Suel. Uh, franchise left tackle. No matter who your quarterback is, similar to what the Jets did last year, they drafted, uh, they drafted the franchise left tackle, and then maybe your franchise quarterback comes a year later. But if you're building an identity, and with Dan Campbell, give him what he needs to build his identity. Even if you don't like the hire, you got to give him what he wants. Sewell, that was the most responsible pick of the first round outside of Lawrence uh, going number one. I loved it. I think uh, he's going to be a longtime starter in Detroit and probably one of their better players ever in their franchise. Then in day two, they really cleaned up. Um, Levi Anwuzariki from Washington and Aleem McNeil. I mean, right there, they're like, we're building the trenches with our two D tackles. They are going to be they're athletic. They're great with their hands. Two of the best D tackles in this draft. Two of the only draftable ones because there was there was only about seven or eight D tackles that I even wanted um, in this draft, and they got two of them. And then in round three, one of the last picks of uh, of day two, Ifitu Melifanu, I think is going to be a stud. I don't know why he lasted that long. I think across from Jeffrey Akuda, this is such a cool pairing of physical. Guys that get your hands on you that are like mirror images and can be locked down cornerbacks. Not to mention both of them have swagger for days. I love that pairing. Um, and then it's like, okay, yeah, so what did Detroit not do? They never really added that number one wide receiver uh, for Jared Goff because he doesn't really have anyone there now that Galladay's gone and Marvin Jones is gone. But Amon Ross St. Brown in the fourth round, I like that. I like that a lot. Like he could be a number one wide receiver in the NFL. Um, no, no question. I'm going to be watching him all summer to see if he's going to be a fantasy guy. And then Derek Barnes also in round four, I felt like, um, that was another pick for Dan Campbell. That was one where he was like, yeah, I can do this. I can get with this. So a plus draft. I, I loved it. I mean, I loved six picks of Detroit Lions, and, uh, and, and they only had seven Jamar Jefferson, a late round pick, you know, that, that is what it is. But, uh, th this was an a plus draft for me. Okay, Green Bay Packers, yeah, I didn't love it. Okay, Eric Stokes in round one, good player. Josh Myers, uh, you know, center in round two, another good player. These are going to be guys that they plug in right away. Amari Rodgers, another guy that he's getting time. He's not going to be your number two wide receiver, but he's going to be a guy that, you know, helps your team. Uh, then the rest of the draft, you know, they took a little shots here and there. Cole Van Lannen uh, from Wisconsin. I, I always love giving a shot to a Wisconsin guy. They they typically outperform what people think they're going to do. And then Shamar Jean Charles uh, from Appalachian State. He had one of the best uh, like lockdown rates in college last year. He's a little bit older. That being said, uh, if you know you're going to get something out of a late round corner. 
he's probably one I would bet on. Um, so overall, the, I think the Packers added some nice pieces. They added some depth. Uh, I just don't think everybody in this draft class is going to make their team. And when you're a team that's competing for a Super Bowl like the Packers, you should be getting guys that are going to put you over the top. Uh, Eric Stokes really only seems like the only one that is really going to make a difference in the playoffs because uh, I feel like the rest were for depth. So, yes, it'll help you remain in contention, um, but does this really bother uh, Does this does this bother Aaron Rodgers enough to piss him off? Possibly. Uh, I I would have I would have gone after a couple different players here. Um, so overall, I gave them a B minus because I felt like they got good players, but uh, I don't think they did a draft. And this is the second year in a row. I don't think they drafted like a team that's trying to win a Super Bowl. Okay, uh, Houston Texans, big time F, huge F. Okay, they only drafted five players. Um, None on day one. So uh, their first pick was number 67 overall. It was quarterback Davis Mills. Uh, his ceiling is basically high-end backup. Is basically like, oh, you got a good, solid backup, a nice, de- dependable veteran. Uh, Nico Collins and Brevin Jordan were also guys they took in the mid-rounds there. Wide receiver and a tight end that could develop into uh, you know nice players on your offense. Uh, that's it. Because then they drafted two special teamers in Wallow and Roy Lopez, um, so so really nothing. They they didn't get anything in this draft, so it's a big F, especially on a team that's like you're you're rebuilding, you're rebuilding, and this is all you got. Indianapolis Colts. I also felt like the Colts, um, you know, fell a little bit short. I love the pay pick. Uh, I I felt like they needed to add another DB. I wanted them to add an offensive lineman. That being said, um, they ended up signing Eric Fisher. So that really solved the offensive line problem. So I'm not going to hold that against them. Um, the only wide receiver they added was Michael Trey. I, I keep on wanting to say Strahan, but it's Strahan. Um, and he's uh, he went to the College of Charleston. Uh, Sam Ellinger, backup uh, quarterback from Texas. Okay. Um and then Kylan Granson from SMU, like they already have decent tight ends. I don't think he's going to be making a difference there. And Dio Odeyingbo from Vanderbilt, I like him a lot, but I liked him a lot in the fourth, not the second. So I didn't love this Colts draft. I loved the pay pick, but I felt like a team that's going to be competing in the AFC, uh, you need some more corners. You don't need like a fifth D end, and that's what Dio is. So um, I gave this a C- minus of a draft. Jacksonville ja- Jaguars, uh, I gave them an A-. minus. I thought they did a great job. Number one, you secured the best player in the draft and a franchise quarterback in Trevor Lawrence. Like that, you know, home run right there, A-plus pick. Uh, Travis Etienne, I thought, you know, yeah, okay. So, like, I thought they might have the balls to do it. I didn't have them taking them, but uh, I, I'm not going to hate on them for doing it. That being said, if they're going to move them to wide receiver, I hate that pick. I hate that pick if they're moving them to wide receiver. Tyson Campbell, Andre Cisco, two uh, day two guys that I think are going to be really nice long term pieces in your DB field. Uh, I think they need a little bit of work because they can definitely um, be, you know, when Cisco has problems looking into the backfield and getting beat over top. And Tyson Campbell, he ha- is on film a couple times getting beat, but he's a cornerback I really liked in this draft. Add in Walker Little, former f- five star tackle. 
and uh, Jay Tufeli, a four or five star defensive tackle. These are guys that you know. Urban Meyer is like he's building his team through really talented football players. Um, so I gave this an A minus of a draft that he just added a lot of really good players. Okay, Kansas City. The one thing that they did this year, they got rid of their two tackles, and they uh, this was after a Super Bowl in which they couldn't protect Pat Mahomes. Well, this draft and free agency was all about reshaping their offensive line, and in this draft, they got Creed Humphrey, center from Oklahoma, and Trey Smith, a guard from Tennessee, both pretty later than they were supposed to go. And I think those were real two really good picks. I thought Nook Bolton out of Missouri, like that's a nice pick, but again, I you know that's less of my concern. It's more so, um, are you going to fortify your strength at wide receiver, or are you going to improve your strength at offensive line, or are you going to add some corners? They only did one of those things, and it was help out the offensive line. So it, it was a decent job that they did. Uh, Trey Smith was a huge huge um uh steal at 226 overall i don't know why he went that late but he did and him and creed humphrey uh one of them might end up starting if not both of them um so we'll see we'll see what ends up happening but i'll give this draft a c because i really outside of those two guys there's not a lot to love here uh the las vegas raiders you know uh, i thought leatherwood was a, a decent pick i think a bit of a stretch but you know a good player at a position of need, nothing wrong with that. Trevin Marg, a, a great great pick in round two. Um, and then Malcolm Kuntz I thought was way overdrafted, same as Divine Diablo. Two guys I really liked on day three that ended up going in the top 80. Um, Tyree Gillespie I thought felt like was also just like a decent like backup pick. So they got some nice players. I gave this draft a C-plus because it, it is some of my favorite players in the draft. Divine Diablo... Uh, Trevin Marg and, and Malcolm Kuntz were all guys that I was targeting. Even if they were overdrafted, I liked them. Okay. Um, next up was the Chargers. Love their start. You know, Slater, big time protection for um for for Herbert. That's that's huge. And Asante Samuel, unbelievable value at 47. This guy could be a number one quarterback in the NFL. If he was one inch taller, we wouldn't be even questioning it. After that, there was a huge drop-off. I thought Josh Palmer is like the 40th best wide receiver in this draft. They took him at 77. Um, maybe not 40th. That's a little harsh, but 30th. Trey McKitty out of Georgia. Um, you know, they reached a little bit for him. He's a big-time project, but at tight end, he's an athletic kid and could be like, you know, they could see something with him and turn him into something big. After that, though, is a lot of guys that are, are special teamers. And uh, I don't think they did a really great job after their first two draft picks. So uh, I gave them a C minus. However, um, it's it's really just because they I think they dra- overdrafted a lot of guys because I do love their first two picks that I'm actually willing to bump it up to a C plus uh, because it's just two really great picks to start your draft and those are two difference making picks a lockdown cornerback and a left tackle so C plus for for the Chargers. Rams, uh, yeah, I mean, this one's a D because, you know, they didn't have a first-round pick, and then the second round they drafted Tutu Atwell, who I'm sure they're going to find a nice spot for. Um, and then, you know, it's just a, a lot of, you know, Bobby Brown is a fringe, you know, fringe guy in this team. Robert Rochelle, he's a nice pick in round four, but 
uh, Jacob Harris and Ernest Brown and Jake Funk, these might not even make the Rams. Uh, Ernest Jones out of South Carolina was way overdrafted. So uh, I don't like what they did at all. I'm sure they drafted guys they like, and you know, speed with Tutu Atwell is great, but um, uh, I don't know, just, uh, just not a good draft for me. Miami Dolphins. Um, look, if they were going to go, they like Waddle. They took him at six. I would have taken Sewell there and then taken um, Rashad Bateman at 18. But, you know, because I felt like the edge, you know, edge at 18, I was like, whatever you're getting edge at 18, you can also get a 36. So um, they ended up going with Phillips at 18, who I like, but you don't know with the injury. And then Javon Holland at 36, who I also like, but, you know, they already got these, you know, I, I feel like he might not even start for them, and it's a nice depth piece, but Liam Eichenberg at 42 was was a nice add, and so is T- Hunter Long, but the, um, Hunter Long I don't think will contribute right away. Eichenberg, though, was a good add. I just feel like you could have gotten all those same players and still gotten, um, you know, all you, all you downgrade from is Waddle to Bateman, which isn't a far downgrade for me. And you could have upgraded from Eichenberg to a real franchise left tackle in Sewell. But if they like Eichenberg and he performs like a franchise left tackle um, or right tackle, you know, because Tua's a lefty quarterback, um, this is a home run draft. So uh, I, I really like the first five guys they got. I think it's it, they got some studs. I gave them a B plus because I just would have done different things. Okay, the Vikings. Uh Started out, they traded down, acquired some more capital, and they still got Christian Derisaw, who um, they would have been lucky to take at 14. So great pick right there off the bat. Uh, they also added Wyatt Davis in this draft. So if you were a fan of what the Jets did for their young quarterback, Derisaw and Davis on the left side of the line for a long time for uh, Minnesota could be really special. Uh, they drafted Kelamon with their second pick, um, you know, number 66 overall. If they really like him, there's a lot to like about Kellen Mond. I thought Detroit was going to take him in the mid rounds and make and develop him. Minnesota ends up doing it, and he's going to have an offensive line to that's pretty good. Uh, I thought Amir Smith Marset was one of the best picks of the draft at 157, and Jalen Twyman uh, in round six at 199. Some really good, really good value. They overdrafted Cameron Bynum. And uh, Kenny Nguanu, who are guys I thought could possibly be late-round picks that were fun. They also took Patrick Jones, the other pit D lineman that I really liked. So this was a good draft. I, I thought Shaz Surratt, I'm like, I could take it or leave it. Um, Janarius Robinson in round four, another player I do like. Uh, I think the Vikings have one of my favorite drafts, and I give this an A-. minus uh, Because they just attacked the trenches with some very good players. Got a nice wide receiver in Amir Smith Marset and a possible, um, you know, quarterback to develop. So really good stuff. The Patriots, um, I know they really hammered the big schools, you know, Alabama, Oklahoma, Michigan, Missouri, Colorado, uh, but I felt like they were a little, a little reachy. Mac Jones, look, if he's your guy, he's your guy. I just don't think he's the guy. Uh, and they took him at 15th overall. Christian Barmore at 38, I think that is a pretty good pick. I think that's going to be a guy that he rotates all over the defensive line for them and will be a problem for, for a while because he's a really good defensive lineman. Ronnie Perkins, nice edge rusher. 
Um, after that, I don't think it's a lot of guys that are difference makers in the NFL. So um, I gave this draft a C minus. I think that's pretty fair. They got some good players, but I, I don't really I don't really know how they fit in the NFL. Uh, PFF though will tell you it's an A plus draft. So I don't know. Take that for what it is. I, maybe I'm maybe I'm not a big enough fan of Cam McGrone. And um, I, I don't know. I mean, if that's the case, then that then okay. But I still think uh, you know Barmore. They got a first round draft pick there. Mac Jones. He's a second round pick. They just flip those guys. And then Ronnie Perkins. You know that was a really good value at ninety six. But overall, what they brought in, it you know left a lot to be desired. New Orleans Saints. Uh, they got Peyton Turner, who I love. I already talked about Paulson Adibu, who I also loved. Um, Pete Warner, I'm not a big fan of Pete Warner. I think he could be a starting weak side linebacker. Uh, I just would have uh, gotten a wide receiver with that pick for New Orleans, especially if you want to continue to compete. And now you have crappy quarterbacks. So um, I gave this draft a C minus. I like t- Turner and Adebo are the only things that stopped this from being like one of the worst drafts in, in you know period. Okay, New York Giants. Uh, I love the trade, right? They got jumped for Devonta Smith. So what are they going to do? Well, they still want a wide receiver, but they don't want to take one at 11 or 12. So they move down to 20. Chicago get, you know, they get Chicago's first round pick next year, which that's not guaranteed to be a good pick. That could or uh, um a a playoff team. That could be a high pick. That could be a top 10 pick if, you know, if Dalton is the starter or if Justin Fields struggles. So great trade there. Um, they trade down. They take Tony, who I, I, you know, I think that's fine. I would have taken Bateman. I would have definitely taken Rashad Bateman there. But they get Aziz Ojolari in round two at fifty. Uh, Aaron Robinson in round three was was another good pick at cornerback. Ellerson Smith is a nice defensive end. So, um, you know, as like an uh, you know a depth piece, and then Rodarius Williams. He's old, an old cornerback. Um, you know, he's like already like twenty four. But he, he's pretty good. He can play. So I think they got some nice depth pieces. Uh, I just would have, if they went Bateman instead of Tony, this would have been maybe an A minus draft for me. So I'm going to stick with a B because, um, uh, although that B is including the first round pick that they're getting next year. So I got to give it a B minus. Um, and then next year, hey, they'll have two first round picks. They have a chance to really steal the draft. Okay, New York Jets, uh, another one of the winners. I, I gave them an A+. Plus. Uh, they got Zach Wilson, who's a franchise quarterback. Uh, they protect him with Elijah Vera Tucker and uh, Michael Carter, who I think is a really good, nice receiving running back. Elijah Moore, who was one of my favorite receivers in the draft. Um, and then they hammered it out with defensive backs, Jamie and Sherwood, Michael Carter Jr., uh, their second Michael Carter, by the way. Uh, Jason Pinnock from Pittsburgh, but Hamza Nazareldine from Florida State was one that I loved. Um, so you add Hamza to the first four picks of Moore and Carter, AVT and Wilson, and it's like this is an absolute home run. I think A-plus might be a little bit of a stretch. I'll give him an A. Okay, Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, another a minus. Uh, I think they just did such a really good job of, of adding value with their picks. They got you know a number one wide receiver for Jalen Hurts. They got him Devonta Smith. They got him 
interior offensive line help with Landon Dickerson. This is how you do treat a young quarterback. You got him an offensive lineman, got him a wide receiver, just like the Jets did. Uh, then they doubled down at D-line. They got Milton Williams and Marlon Tuapiloto from USC. I think those guys, that's similar to what Detroit did. They got good defensive tackles to really fortify those trenches. Um, and then uh, Kenneth Gainwell, I think, in round five, was a really nice depth piece at running back. Like, that's going to be great. Uh, I, I think that was just a huge steal. Zach McPherson, also a, a solid pick, uh, corner out of Texas Tech. Um, all in all, A- minus of a draft. I felt like they just got solid players left and right. And a team that just needs a, a lot of young depth because they're already pretty old, uh, they did a good job. Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, look, the Steelers came into the draft and it was like they lost some help on defense. They are replacing most of their offensive line. And you know they have an old quarterback. So what do they do? They draft a running back. And they draft a backup tight end. And then they attack the offensive line. I like Kendrick Green. I think at 87, I was like, you know what? Um, maybe a little rich for my blood, but the Steelers needed to take him. Dan Moore, again, at this point, you're getting off backup offensive linemen and you're hoping to start them. Buddy Johnson looks good in the uniform, but he's not going to be like an every down linebacker. He's a special teamer. Um, Quincy Roche was a nice uh, late pick. Same with Trey Norwood. But again, these are depth pieces. These are special teamers. Pat Fryermuth and Najee Harris were the guys that they tied their draft to. And uh, to be honest, you know, if Fryermuth and Harris, they could turn out to be really good, but they have a huge need at offensive line, and they got worse at defensive back this year, and they didn't help themselves in this draft. So I got to give the Steelers a C-. minus. Still got some good players, but just left the draft not knowing what to do. Um, San Francisco, I like what the Niners did. I think they did a good job, you know, not doing the whole Mac Jones thing. Trey Lance at three is a much better pick. He's he's a solid franchise quarterback. Aaron Banks at Notre Dame, he was going to be their left tackle if he stayed. So I really like, you know, anytime you take a Notre Dame offensive lineman, I like that. He went a lot higher than I thought he would. And Trey Sermon, he went higher than I thought he would too. Um, you're going to get that from this whole draft. Jalen Moore from Western Michigan, Ambry Thomas, Demo um, and, and t you know the only one that guy that went a little bit later than I thought he would was uh, Hufanga from USC. He was a one really good value pick. But even with the guys they drafted a little bit early, I still like them a lot, and I think I gave this uh, draft a B because. They are going to get guys that you're going to be like, hey, I remember when they drafted him. I remember when they drafted him. And they're going to be playing. Banks is going to play. Lance is going to play. Sermon, Thomas, Lenore, and Hafanga all going to play. So I'm giving this a B plus. Okay. Getting to the end. Big F for Seattle. They only added three players, right? Trey Brown, he's a depth corner. Uh, I think he's actually pretty good. Um, but Stone Forsythe, he's, he's a backup offensive lineman. He's not a starter. And they need a guy to start. And if they're going to be starting him, they're going to have troubles in that division. Dwayne Eskridge, speed receiver. That's going to help their receiving core, no doubt. But that's it. Those are they, they added three players. So I got to give this an F because, um, frankly, Eskridge, he's already an old wide receiver. He's older than DK is. Um, Trey Brown, he's, you know, he's depth. They added one guy you might see play. And, and at that, uh, Tampa Bay, 
I don't love what Tampa Bay did. I think Joe Tryon was a bit of a reach, uh, even though he's going to be a backup for them. So I guess like that's a decent pick because they don't need any starters. But Jalen Darden, he is a he is far down the wide receiver depth, and he's a really good player. Uh, I just don't see him how he's going to be able to make you know play on the field if they keep on you know keeping with their current guys. Uh, Bob Hainsey from Notre Dame. I like Kyle Trask. I thought at 64 was like a worthy shot. So I th- I gave them a C minus. I think um, they added players that I liked, but um, you know I just don't see how they contribute on the team. And maybe that's just a problem with they've got so much um, you know like like you know guys in front of them. So I guess there's just not a lot of holes to fill. Um, however. I don't know, I just felt like they drafted guys and I would have taken different guys. Tryon at edge over Ojolari, didn't like that pick. Um, Trask, uh, you know, at 64, I, I kind of like that. I think that was fine. But uh, Hainsey, if you, if you were going to take an offensive line, I would have taken a, 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 one of the many guys beforehand. Um, and then Jalen Darden, I just don't know why uh, you reach for Darden in round four when you have all the receivers you have. Um, Tennessee Titans. This is tough because it all comes down to if Farley's like healthy. And if he is, it's a huge hit. Um, I thought Monty Rice was a bit of an overdraft. Elijah Molden is a great slot corner, and they need they need a bunch of corners, so might as well start with Molden. Uh, Dylan Radins, uh, I don't even know if he's going to start, but I like him in round two. Farley I love. Um, so, you know, with Farley and Molden, you are really taking your, like, worst position and saying, hey, we're addressing it. Rashad Weaver from Pittsburgh is really nice. And uh, Racy McMath, I thought, um, I don't know why no one was talking about him uh, out of LSU. So um, I give them a B-. minus. I think uh, it could be as high as an A if Caleb Farley hits because at 22, like, wow. what? I mean, he's one of the best defensive players in the draft. Okay, uh, we're finishing it up. Last one, Washington football team. Uh, look, Jamin Davis I think it's way too high to take a linebacker in round one. Uh, however, Tampa Bay they you know they have speed speed linebackers, and Jamin Davis is exactly built the same way, and that helped them win the Super Bowl. So maybe they're on to something there. Sam Cosby in round two, nice pick, nice pick. He could be a starter. Ben Saint uh, Saint Just in round three, another one at corner. He could be a starter. Deami Brown. Great value pick there. I think he's going to be a great deep threat. Um, Derek Forrest was a really nice day, uh, day three pick. Shaka Tony, another day three pick I really liked. Uh, so Washington added some nice players here. I gave them a B uh, because even though I don't love the Davis pick, uh, they just added a lot of guys that I think were pretty good. So um, overall, really good stuff from uh, the draft this year. Uh, going to take a little break for dinner. Hold on. Oh, sorry about that break, folks. Uh, actually, it's not a break for you. It's just a break for me because uh, I paused it, so you don't even notice that I was gone. But uh, my umbrella flew into my neighbor's backyard, so I had to go get it. Uh, but those are my draft grades. Uh, I had, a, again, for like the fifth time, I had a great fun time with this draft. I think the Browns did awesome. Uh, I think Cleveland did awesome as a city hosting the draft. And, uh, you know, I would have liked to go. I was thinking about going. I was close to pulling the trigger, but it just didn't make a lot of sense because I, I would have kind of been on my own out there. 
And, uh, you know, usually where I have the appeal of going because family's out there. I didn't have that this year because no one was going to be there. It just didn't make a lot of sense, especially with, you know, they're still doing COVID protocols and things like that. So uh, that being said, had a lot of fun watching at home. So, all right, that's enough NFL for now. Did the draft grades, did the schedule rundown for uh, the Browns. But uh, I do want to get to the other sports real quick. Um, uh, first, we'll jump into the NBA. You know, the playoffs just started. We're about two games into every series. Um, and, uh, you know, right now, it's hard to really gather what's going on. You know, the, uh, um, you know, a lot of 1 uh, 1 splits, but uh, the Boston is down early. The Clippers are down early. So it's still too early to really like say much because it's only two games into each series. However, um, you know, the NBA lottery, that is worth talking about. So um, the season ended. The, you know, what really stinks is anytime your team is not like the bottom team and you're like the fifth team, even though you're only like three wins better than those bottom teams, you're in a really tough spot. And that's what the Cavaliers are in right now um first of all they just lost a tiebreaker coin flip with okc and it's you gotta be careful to like read into that because the only difference their odds of landing in the top four does not change because of the coin flip the odds only change none of the odds actually change the only thing that it changes is if either team doesn't make it into the lottery then it has a little bit of like a factor then it's like okay you missed the top four lottery picks now when it comes time to the rest of the draft if okc and cleveland are both outside of it okc drafts first so it's a very small factor um there's a really small chance the brown or the browns the Cavs are drafting ninth uh but that is the lowest they can go there's a really small chance they draft eighth. What it really seems like is it's a 50% chance they'll draft six or seven, or a 50% chance they'll draft one through four. Five, eight, and nine are kind of like outliers of like, yes, it can happen, but it would be very tough for them to draft five because it would mean the four teams in front of them, OKC, Orlando, Detroit, and Houston, all land in the lotto. And the odds of that happening are are just very small that it goes scratch. So I don't see them going five. That's the only way they get the fifth pick is if those four teams go in the top four. Um, six happens if one team jumps them, and then um, three of the lottery teams in front of them stay in the draft. That's a good chance of happening. Same as if two teams jump them and two teams in front of them stay in. Um, you know, like so, like those chances are okay. It's hard to jump into the lottery when you're one of the teams seated, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Like it's hard for one of those teams to jump in. For two of them to do it, uh, it's very difficult. So, um, six is a good chance for the Cavs. Seven is also a solid chance, but they still have a forty-nine percent chance of landing one of those top four picks. I ran fifty simulations. They. Uh, you know, landed in the top four in 29 of them and uh, landed either Cade at one, which was 11 times, which was shocking because they're, that's, they have an 11% chance, not a 23% chance, um, a 22% chance. Uh, 
Mobley or Jalen Green. That seems to be like what everyone wants. Suggs um, is also in that topic. A lot of teams have him either two or three on their board after Cade. However, I don't think the Cavs will because, uh, you know, he's kind of a combo guard, which they already have with Colin Sexton. If they're going to go guard, I think they want like a pure shooting guard. And then maybe Colin Sexton is their spark plug off the bench. And uh, I think Jalen Green is the pick. However, I, I think this team really wants Mobley or Cade. I think that's what it, what it wants. But um, So you understand that it's a lottery for the first four picks. And then after the first four picks are decided, it then goes scratch based on you know record. That's where the coin flips come in and stuff like that. Um, the lottery stuff wasn't affected. So they have a decent shot at it. And as much as people are like going to roll their eyes at this next thing, the Cavs are due for some lottery luck. Now, I understand they have landed the number one pick before, but the times they've landed the number one pick when they got Anthony Bennett, when they got um, uh, Andrew uh, Wiggins, when they got you know um, LeBron James, they were the worst team in the NBA, and they got it because they had the best odds at it. Um, when they got Kyrie... They traded for that pick. That was the Clippers' first-round pick. The Cavs are actually the worst team in the NBA that year, and they got actually shafted out of luck because they got the fourth pick, and that was Tristan Thompson. Think about adding Tristan Thompson after being the worst team in the NBA. And Tristan Thompson actually ended up being a very good draft pick, but that's not what you want when you're the worst team in the NBA. You want Kyrie Irving. And they only got that because they traded for the Clippers' pick and Kyrie Irving you know, turned out to be an absolute stud. So they lucked out there. They traded Bennett and Wiggins um, to, uh, you know, for Kevin Love, which ended up being a nice deal for them. But they, you know, they they get those first round picks and that's right around Anthony Davis. But that's not the luck I'm looking for because I understand that those are the previous ones. The luck I'm looking for is this is the third year of this new lottery. This four lotto pick system rather than three picks, um, and then they com- they completely reduced those odds for the teams that are drafting that high. So the first two, you know, it used to be twenty five percent chance of landing the first overall pick if you're the bottom team, which seemed fair because if you're the worst team in the league, you should be drafting first. But now it's only fourteen percent chance, and it's three teams have those odds. And then the next two teams have 11% chance. Of, so it's like really leaving it wide open for almost anybody to come in there. And I get it. Part of it, this is the whole like, you know, stopping um, tanking from happening. But, you know, the Cavs uh, finished both the last two seasons with the second worst overall record in the league. And both years they drafted fifth. So, like, I mean, th- that's unlucky. That's unlucky that both times in the lottery – they didn't land one of the lotto picks, even though they had the best odds. They had tied for the best odds at number one and the second best odds of landing a top four pick overall. And they landed. They they got shafted. Um, and the number one team didn't get shafted. The number one team got got in both times. But they ended up, the Cavs got the number five pick both times. And it's like, look, I like Darius Garland. I like Isaac Okoro. However, um... Those aren't the number one overall picks. So, yes, the Cavs are due for some luck because in both the first two drafts of this new draft, they've gone down both times. So who, who knows? Maybe they can move up this time. 
you know, and another thing to keep in mind for this draft is that, you know, the Cavs, they have their point guard of the future in Darius Garland. They have their center in the future, Jared Allen. Uh, Isaac Okoro showed enough to be a wing, a two or, or a three, I think. Uh, Colin Sexton, I think you know what you have with him. A lot of people hate on him, which I think is unfair because he's proven to be basically Donovan Mitchell, but on a bad team. Uh, or, you know, Jamal Murray on a bad team. They're putting up similar numbers. Uh, the only thing is he kind of lacks assists, but that's not his position. He's a shooting guard. So, you know, if you like those guys, the shooting percentages and the scoring, like, is very similar. The only thing is he just hasn't had a chance to do it in front on, like, a main stage because the Cavs have been so bad. Um, this is a make or break for Colby Altman. Uh, you know, first of all, the season ended almost two weeks ago, and he hasn't even addressed the media, which is crazy considering in 2019 when the season ended, it only took him three days to address the media. Um, is he going to be the GM for the long haul? I think this draft is a big you know key because he traded away Kevin Porter Jr. based uh, on personal reasons, and now Kevin Porter Jr. is putting up 50 points, 10 assists in a game. You know, not a game, but he did that in a game where it's like, all right, why are you giving up on a guy so young when you could have just stashed him in the G league? Uh, especially when you trade him for a whole lot of nothing at, at the very least uh, at the end of the season, you could have been showcasing him a little bit when everyone else has been out. And then he puts on a show and you trade him in the off season for a future lotto pick, you know, at the very least, like you could be able to do that. How high would Kevin Porter go in this draft class? Top five. You know, and you trade him for a second round pick that's not going to be conveyed. I mean, that has to be against uh, Kobe Altman. This is something that it needs to go against him for the future. You know, he basically shorted Kevin Porter Jr. stock. And now it's out there rising. He needs to pay for as long as it's still rising. Um, the only way to combat that is to invest in other stocks, at, you know, and, and, and hit on those. Okoro, I think, and Garland are two pretty good picks. Windler, I'm not so sure about, but again, that was the end of the first round, and he just hasn't played. He just hasn't been on the court. Um, the worst part is that, you know, Kevin Love, right? He's got two years left on his contract after, you know, now the season's over. So he has next year and the year after the 21-22 season, and then the 22-23 season, and then he's a free agent. Um... So he's not an expiring contract. Plus, I feel like nobody's really interested in inquiring expiring contract these days because a lot of the young guys have locked up prematurely and they haven't even hit um, free agency. And when they do, like, okay, the big cities like L.A. and Miami and Philadelphia, um, those big markets, they have their stars. So they're not clearing cap room to lure a star to these big cities because the big cities have the stars. So it's like, all right, does Charlotte want to clear, you know, cap room to lure a big free agent? Like, I don't know, like, you know, the Knicks, I, they're like the one team that they could be doing it, but they've been more interested in competing this year. So I don't really know where Kevin Love fits in. And it's unfortunate because ever since he signed that, you know, contract, the rest of the league has looked at him as nobody wants to touch Kevin Love. But he's had value to the Cavs. He's been a teacher. He's been a leader up until this season when everything went awry. He couldn't get on the court. And, like, that's a thing with him every year. So that's not new. 
But when he finally was on the court, then he got hurt again. And then it was, you know, he doesn't like Colin Sexton. And then it's basically, you know, everything bad that's coming out about Kevin Love, then it's like, you know, it's coming out that it's not coming from Kevin Love, but basically it's going through the channels that Kevin Love would go through uh, to bash Colin Sexton every every turn. It's like every time something bad about Kevin Love comes out, Colin Sexton has something worse about him. And Colin Sexton has really never done anything but try hard and improve. Like, okay, so why why are we hating on Colin Sexton still? Um, it's really too bad. So it's it's going to be interesting um, how the Cavs land in this draft. Are they If they get six or seven, it's like, okay, maybe you can get a forward and you can develop them and then start Larry Nance and the forward will come off the bench. Um, it's, it's tough. The Cavs are in a tough spot. They really need one of these playmakers. They really need Evan Mobley, you know, and stick him at the four. And then you have a really nice young core or even I like Jalen green, uh, a lot. I think he's like the two, like, you know, him and Garland in the back court. And then I don't know what you do with Sexton. Maybe you play him off the bench. Maybe you, you trade him to a team that's looking for like a spark plug and uh, you can get maybe a four or just a, a couple good players all that come off the bench instead of having one good player off the bench. And maybe that's the, you know, the boost you need. And then Okoro can be your three. I mean, if you get Cade, that's incredible because then you put Cor- Okoro at the two, Cade at the three, and, you know, Garland stays at the one. I don't really know how Cade would fit on the Cavs, but I know that he'd be he'd be starting and then he'd be a linchpin for them for the future. And then who knows, maybe you do trade Colin Sexton because you don't need another like ball handler. I don't really know, but I do know is, and you know what? I see that there's a chance that the Thunder could land two top five picks. You know, if Houston falls out, right? The lowest pick Houston could go to is five. And if that's the case, it will end up as the Thunders. Okay, because Houston right now is the best odds, so they can land one, two, three, or four in which they keep the pick, or if they fall to five, it's the Thunder's pick. And then the Thunder have a pretty decent chance of jumping into the top four. So the Thunder, at very best, could land one and five. At the very worst, they could miss the Houston pick, and then they could also be drafting eighth, um, which would really sting for them. So, uh, you know, they could go from having the first and fifth pick to having the eighth pick. Um, they could have the second and fifth pick. They can have the third pick overall, just the third pick. They, there are a lot of different possibilities. They could have the second and sixth pick. They have the second and fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth. They could have a lot of different things going on. So if the Cavs do hit in this lotto and someone's looking to trade up like the Thunder and they're saying, hey, you know, we have picks three and five um, for pick one or for pick two, this is something maybe you consider because if you're the Cavs, you're like, we are we one player away? Are we a, a Cade or a Mobley away? Or are we, you know what? We need to take as many lotto picks as possible because we're hitting and we're missing and we want to be competing. You know, at this point next year, I want the Cavs to be in the playoffs. You know, I really like Garland. I really like Okoro and I really like Jared Allen. Larry Nance, I think is a really solid, if he's your fourth best starter, like, yeah, that that's a good squad. And um, I just think the Cavs, they, they need to build that bench by having some like, you know, and they need health. I mean, like, oh my gosh, they, they had so many injuries this year, which is fine because this wasn't the year to compete. But, uh, you know, Jared Allen, he's going to get an extension and Sexton's going to get an extension. And then all of a sudden you're wondering, like, 
hmm, like Kevin Love, if can can we move that? A lot of people have been saying, oh, if you attach a pick, we'll take Kevin Love. But the Cavs, he's never been, you know, that lowly regarded until now. And now no one wants to touch him. And now the Cavs are like, well, we don't want him anymore. So it's a really tough spot because they've always valued him more than the rest of the league. And now they finally don't value him at all. And the league just doesn't want a part of him. So Kevin Love had a rough year. But now he's stuck because he didn't play ball. He didn't want to be the leader. He didn't want to do this and that. And I get it. He has his own things. He doesn't have to be anything he doesn't want to be. But if he wants to be out of Cleveland, if he wants to be on a contender or a playoff team even, you know, he could have been traded at this point. And maybe a team like, you know, maybe a team like Portland's like, shoot, we need to shake it up a little bit. Um, Or, you know, and he's always, you know, he's always been said to want to go back home, you know, because he's from up in the Northwest. Um, So maybe, you know, Portland's like, hey, we need to make a move. Or maybe a team like Charlotte's like, Listen, we could use another, you know, veteran player. Maybe the like I don't think the Knicks would do it, but there are teams out there that maybe they look at Kevin Love, they wouldn't really give up much, but if you're looking to move on and you would take um, you know, two second round picks for Kevin Love, they would actually absolutely take second round picks for Kevin Love. Um, or if you would just, you know, swap him, maybe if the Sacramento Kings are done with Buddy Heald. You know, and you look at that and they're like, hey, we would love to have a bench shooter like Buddy Heald instead of Kevin Love. Or, I don't know, like maybe Indiana, who like they, they don't want to rebuild, they want to like restart. Maybe they're a team that like you can you make a move with. Um, I don't know. There's 30 NBA teams. You should be able to find one deal for Kevin Love. Uh, you know, I know he makes $30 million a year, but... Uh, every team's got a guy that makes almost that much money, if not more. So we'll see. Um, the Cavs, they're they're out of the playoffs. We won't be seeing the lottery results until the end of June, right before the draft. There's only a week separating between the lottery and the draft, which to me is wild. You know, they used to do the lottery in mid-May, and then you have a month to prepare for the draft. But now you only have a week to prepare for the draft, which is keeping, like, all the fans on edge, and I feel like everyone's going to watch the lottery, knowing that the draft is only going to be a week away. So crazy, but you know that's that's the way it is. Um, in terms of the NBA and NHL playoffs, I haven't gotten into the Stanley Cup playoffs all that much just yet. Uh, Sa- uh, like you know, Sam was kind of like laughing at me when I've been watching golf and hockey recently. She's like, "What are you doing?" And I'm like, "Look, I love watching majors in golf that are tight." And I love watching Stanley Cup playoffs, even if I don't watch much of the regular season, because it's just too exciting of an event. It's one of the most exciting events in sports is the Stanley Cup playoffs. Um, But I haven't really gotten into that much yet. Uh, The only thing I've really gone through so far is the MLB. Uh, I've watched a good amount of the Tribe. They've been a really frustrating team. Uh, First of all, they've been no hit twice, uh, which is insane. First of all, like, first of all, no hit twice. Um, I know no hitters are happening at an insane pace this day. You know, there have been, I think, six so far. Seattle's been no hit twice. Cleveland's been no hit twice. And Texas has been no hit twice. And Seattle almost got no hit by the tribe when Zach Plesak threw a gem the other night. Uh, um, and another thing that makes it even more frustrating, <coughs> excuse me, is that the Indians have the longest streak without a no hitter. And teams like the White Sox are getting one almost every year. You know, I mean, the Padres, who have never had one ever, they had one this year. 
Cincinnati, the like little brother in state to the tribe, they threw one against the tribe. Carlos Rodon, who's been our punching bag for years, he threw one against the tribe. So he'll he'll forever have that over us. Is that it's like we can never be like ah Carlos Rodon, we hit him all the time. It's like actually no, one time he went out there and we didn't hit him once. So really can't say that against Carlos Rodon anymore. Not to mention that's a team, and he pitched uh, you know two straight starts against the tribe and crushed us both times. Um, and that's the team we're a game back on in the standings. So, you know, it, it's that's been frustrating. The Indians don't hit, and their pitching isn't as good this year because guess what? They traded away Trevor Bauer, Corey Kluber, who threw a no-hitter for the Yankees, which I, I'm not making this up. It's crazy. The Yan- like The last people that deserve a Corey Kluber no-hitter is the New York Yankee fans, and yet they got one, and they got to enjoy it. Like, congratulations. Um... But, like, they trade away Corey Kluber, trade away Trevor Bauer. They threw in Carlos Carrasco into the, you know, Francisco Lindor trade. They traded away Mike Clevenger. They let go of Adam Plutko, which ended up being, like, a, a bad move because they really need depth in starting pitching right now because their guys, they're in a tough spot. They have a lot of young guys that haven't been developed yet and are lower in the minor leagues, right? They have those single-A, high-A guys, that just aren't ready to you know pitch at the major leagues yet. Um, then they have other guys like Tristan McKenzie and Logan Allen and Scott Moss and and Eli Morgan, who it's like, okay, right now they're kind of triple-A guys, and it's like if you sprinkle them in to get one or two starts, and Sam Henkes will throw in there too, if, if you sprinkle them in to get one or two starts, behind a great rotation, that's okay. That's the way we've been doing it. But we really can't be relying on McKenzie right now. You know, he's had a really rough year so far. Uh, and Henkez, I know a lot of people are really high on. Um, I see why you'd be high on him. He's a really tall, strong-throwing lefty. Like, I like that. But I'm not ready to rely on him just yet. And I haven't seen Scott Moss. You know, he hasn't started a game for the Tribe yet. So, there's a lot of question marks, you know, after Bieber, who, yes, he's been an ace and a number one starter, but he hasn't been his typical Cy Young self, and we need that right now. Plesak, his ERA is over four. He's he's beginning to look a lot like Trevor Bauer and not just his buddy Clevenger in that, like, you know, he'll throw one great game and throw one bad game. And I'm talking about the tribe Trevor Bauer before he won the Cy Young and before he became, like, the, you know, $20 million a year pitcher. Um, And then, you know, but, but hey... Aaron Savali has been awesome. He's like been that stabilizer that we need, kind of like, you know, Carlos Carrasco was for us for years of just like middle of the rotation, but he's pitching like a number one. Um, that's great out of him. And right now we've he's been our most consistent guy. He's got six wins for us. So that's nice to have, especially when we're not hitting a whole lot. We haven't hit for him a whole lot, but he's still won six games for us. And uh, we'll see. We're going to see a lot of young pitchers like Cal Quantrill. I want to see Giancarlos Mejia. I want to see him as a starter. I thought I didn't, when they brought him up, I thought he was going to be a starter, not a reliever. So I was a little surprised in that. Um, with all this being said, with being one of the worst hitting teams in the major leagues, um, Jose Ramirez is one of the only hitters we have. Framil Reyes, he was having a really nice start to the season, but now he's going to be sidelined for like a month and a half because of a oblique strain which that always sucks or i think it's an oblique strain it might be something in his forearm or something but um 
that really sucks because he had already had double digit homers and was leading the team in RBIs and was getting on base a lot and was just a very consistent, solid DH and and cleanup hitter for us. And we needed that because Eddie Rosario had a tough start. Um, Ahmed Rosario had a really tough start, even though he's turned around recently. Um, Josh Naylor, he's up and down. And then after Jose, you know, Cesar uh, Hernandez had a terrible start to the season. He's coming along now, though. So guys are starting to pull it together. But we're like a five-man lineup. You know, and then we're starting guys like Owen Miller, who I really like and I'm really excited for, but he can't be relied upon yet. Same with Jake Bowers has done, you know, better of recently, but he's platooning with Yu Chang and he shouldn't be platooning, especially since Yu Chang's not even a first baseman. Um, catcher, you know, Roberto Hernandez, he, what he provides is a catcher defensively, not offensively, because offensively we're getting about a 140 clip from our catchers, him and Hedges. Uh, Rene Rivera is a nice, like, you know, he's had a couple good games, but, you know, I, I think that's short-lived. And then, um, you know, center field, we really don't even have a center fielder. We've just been putting Ahmed Rosario there. I do love um, Harold Ramirez, uh, or Hector Ramirez. Um, I, I mean, I, I, he came out of nowhere. He wasn't even on the team, you know, in the winter, and they picked him up off of Miami. And every time he swings, I love it because... He plays like a guy who has no tomorrow in the league. And I think that's valuable because, you know, it's true. He's probably a guy. He's been around the leagues. He has nothing guaranteed to him. He's not going to get a big major league contract because he's already in his late 20s and he's finally reaching like the bigs. But he's a guy. He's playing like there is no tomorrow because there might not be a tomorrow for him in major league baseball. So I like I like that about him. Um. And then, you know, we've had a couple guys to shuffle back and forth, like Andre Jimenez from the Mets deal. It's like, all right, he needs a little more seasoning down at AAA. Uh, Owen Miller and, and Daniel Johnson, they probably need that too. And Jake Bowers, he doesn't have that option. Bobby Bradley, Nolan Jones, Oscar Mercado, Bradley Zimmer. These are guys that are all been down at AAA and haven't even been hitting. So it's not even like the answers are at AAA right now. The answers are we have guys that need to start hitting. And uh, yet, after all of this complaining, after everything that I've just said, they're 26 and 20. They have the least amount of losses in Major League or in the American League. Um, you know, they have 26 wins, which is like, you know, I mean, it's a couple behind like the top guys. But the point is, you know, the best teams in the American League have 20 losses, no better than 20 losses, and that's where the Tribe is. They're one game out of first in the AL Central. They're going to be competing all summer if they can stay healthy and if guys can start to come back to the norm because they're all playing below what they can be playing. Like That's the, that's the bottom line is everyone is underperforming. So something to be said about that. Uh, but we'll be keeping an eye on baseball. There's a lot of baseball still to be had, especially since there's really not much more football to be talking about. So we'll be moving off of football for a while and we'll be moving on to baseball and the playoffs and other things like that. So thanks for listening, everyone. It's been a two-hour podcast. I think I'm done now. And um, you know, next week we'll talk more movies. We'll talk more playoffs. We'll do a top five. We'll, do, we'll get back to the norm. But I just wanted to do a nice recap of the finale of like football season for me because it's finally over. The draft is finally over, and the schedule release came out. So there really is nothing else out there to talk football-wise unless there's any breaking news trades but in terms of events, in terms of all the big stuff, that is done. 
And the next time we will really get into football is fantasy and uh, season preview in August. Uh, so thanks again for listening. Um, hope you're following me on Twitter and having a lot of fun with all of uh, my debates and crap like that. So uh, thank you and uh, go Browns. Waiting for